0: Hello, and welcome to the Behind the Headlines podcast, brought to you by Bristol's independent media, Bristol 24 7. My name is Betty Woolerton, and each week we bring you compelling and fascinating conversations from people all over our amazing city, delving behind the headlines of Bristol's news, culture, and more. Hi, everyone, this is Betty here for episode 96 of the Bristol 24 7 Behind the Headlines podcast. This week I'm joined by Mina, who's been with us at Bristol 24/7 HQ for Work Experience. So this week we're going to be tackling a big question: is the word brizzle becoming more acceptable to use? Now, Mina, before we hear from Martin and his interview, um, as a university student, what do you think about the word brizzle? Um, it's a controversial subject for some people in the city. So. Is it on your radar, like, what do you think about it?
1: Yeah, I think uh, between me and my friends, we use it uh, as a term of affection. Often we might text it to each other saying, um, are you going to be in Brazil this weekend? I don't, I wouldn't really say that we use it every day, but um,
0: yeah, it's on my radar. So later on in the podcast, Bristol 24-7 editor Martin Booth is going to be asking all the hard-hitting Bristol-based questions to work out if it is acceptable to use the word or if it's a crime against all Bristolians. But first we're going to East Bristol to Church Road. Carla Diogo is a sustainable designer and maker as well as the owner of 264 on Church Road. She speaks to Ellie Pipe about sustainability, repair and mend, fashion, inspiration and more ahead of the
2: launch of her new Autumn Winter collection. Carla, let's talk first about the launch. Um, yeah. It's a year since you first launched your own label. How's everything gone
3: and what can people expect to see from some of these latest pieces? Um, yeah, it's, um, it's an exciting time today. Um, today, yeah, um, I. Um, I've put so much work into it, so it's going to be um, great to finally be able to show it off. You know, um, at the moment on Instagram, I've been showing little kind of like uh, little, little at the collection. So I think everyone's quite excited to see what the final outcome and see how it's going to go. Um, but yeah, people can expect to see um, well, first and foremost, my classic Ronnie collar shirt. Um, and that, that will always be around. And um, Few other kind of like pieces like skirts, dresses and um, day dresses which is quite great and um, anything to sorry, items that will be um that will work well with your current wardrobe to be able to you know mix and match and you know work as well with like other vintage pieces in your wardrobe so, yeah.
2: And for this piece you've put together quite a, a number of items but on the whole you do made to measure one-off unique pieces that's right isn't it?
3: Um, not so much made to measure but made to order um, Sorry, Made can, to and okay. um, people can request um, you know different lengths if um, you want something shorter or longer and um, if you want a specific color as well and um, that's also available so that's i mean that's the kind of great thing about made to order you know you're making things that you want and um, so Yeah, I feel like these are pieces that will be treasured over time and you want to invest in it and, yeah, keep keep it in your wardrobe for, um, you know, seasons to come.
2: Tell us a bit about the inspiration for the pieces and also... I know that you work very sustainably, don't you? Yes. Yes.
3: Um, you so sustainability definitely is uh, one of the things that has inspired this collection, a um, collection of pieces. Um, but overall, as a brand, um, it's all about sustainability. I think I I absolutely love using um, fabrics like organic cottons or using you know x ex- designer fabrics like bedstock fabrics um, and it just makes every a bit more unique and um, yeah just really nice investment piece um, yeah.
2: and you, you said a bit about kind of the city inspiring you as well as as, yeah. as sort of you know how how green people are here yes
3: I mean Bristol Bristol's great for that, isn't it? It's like so. Um, it's very much about like recycling, reusing, and sustainability. And since moving from London, I've definitely noticed that quite a lot. And I've tried to implement that in everything I everything I do. Um, all the kind ventures that I kind of put myself in, like opening the shop, making sure it's all like uh, the majority is like local and made in the UK designer makers um, whose work I I appreciate as well and also you know just through uh, running workshops as well just like you know just like honing in that sustainability sustainability aspect of um, Bristol life and and, yeah
2: and we should talk a bit about that because today the focus very much for you is on the launch tonight but you do, as well as having your own label and, and creating pieces, you do run workshops in the community and co a shop that's just up the road as well. So, yeah. I mean, that's a lot to juggle but can you tell people a little bit about what, the, the workshops in particular?
3: Yeah, workshops are such a great way of um, people locally to come in and um, use the machines and be able to mend and repair items they already have in their wardrobe. Um, You know, um, it can be quite difficult to kind of like invest in a machine, especially if you don't know how to kind of use it. So people really do appreciate having um, someone like myself um, to. To teach them step by step how to get things done on the machine and um, it just builds confidence and, and they're more likely to repair rather than throw away so this is helping with the whole like throw away fast fashion culture
2: And you're currently running workshops for free in Eastern Community Centre and also on Church Road
3: Yes, um, so more recently um, the one on Church Road at Spark Sparks base um, in uh, Bedford Church, which is actually just downstairs, um, downstairs from my studio so it's, um, it's great to have everything basically on, on the doorstep. Um, so yeah, uh, the one in Eastern have been, has been going on for about a year and a half now um, and the one here on Church Road is a more recent uh, venture. So yeah, it's nice to kind of spread the word and be able to help uh, a few more people.
2: And finally, can you tell us a little bit about kind of in the last year you've done so much, opened the shop, started your own label? What, what's the plans for the next year?
3: Um, my plans are to scale things back a little bit. <laughs> yeah, I think I'm doing too much, um, so it'd be nice to kind of reduce and kind of um, focus my energies on the label and see how that goes. Um, at the moment, my my workshops, that I used to run myself like shirt making, dress making, i currently on pause um, in order to give me a bit more time to hone in on my uh, label and see where that takes me. So yeah, just uh, a bit just reducing scaling back a bit.
2: Exciting time and for anyone who does want to find out more about um, your
3: label and where they can get pieces, where's the best place for them to go? Um, ideally my website um, is the best place so carladiogo.com um, or you can find me on Instagram at carladiogo underscore the label
2: Brilliant, thank you so much and best of luck for the Lord today. Thank you so
0: much That was Carla Diogo and our brilliant Deputy Editor Ellie Pipe chatting all things fashion So Nina, you've been with us at Bristol 24-7 for the week, um, what have you been up to? What have you been working on?
1: Yeah, I've had a very hands-on experience here. I've been um, out interviewing people and writing my own articles. Uh, I'm just about to go report on the school strikes in solidarity with uh, what's happening in Gaza. Some of my other articles I've written have been about what's going on in Bristol, reviewing different pubs. So yeah, it's been a really fun week for me. Good, I'm glad. Yeah, you went to industry
0: yesterday, didn't you? Yes, on yeah. On Gloucester Roads. Mm-hmm. How, how was that? That was for our weekly pub of the week feature. Yeah, it was really cool, really nice pub. Uh, I enjoyed it. Good. Next up, we're going to hear from Lucy Wheeler, who works at Beast in St Nick's Market. Um, they've been selling a t-shirt with the word Brizzle on it for 18 whole years. Um, a, she speaks to Martin Booth about the topic.
4: So you said you've heard it like you've heard it once or twice, but well, it, in your words, it's a media thing.
5: We designed this um, about 18 years ago. This T-shirt
4: with the made in Brazil.
5: Yeah, proper he- certified mind. <laughs> well, if you're made in Brazil, you probably are proper certified, mm-hmm. most of us are. Um, yeah, so Brazil. We just liked the sound of it. Just Brazil. I don't know, my mum, my mum's got quite a strong, um well she did that, she's got quite a strong Bristolian accent, um, but she would never say bristle, she would always say bristle, 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 she would say, but we quite like, just liked it with the Z sim, and.
4: So are you taking the blame for this. Part part
5: of the blame. The blame for kind of um, encouraging it, I guess.
4: (laughs) But you, yes and no I would say, because in my investigation Mm. here.
5: What have you found out?
4: Nothing. I couldn't, I haven't found the word like. Bristol. You haven't, You that hasn't kind of taken over. It's, It's mostly Bristol among your produce. Yeah. So, oh, so yeah, is it in so there? Yes, traditionally calls it
5: yes, Br- Bristol. Bristol.
4: That's, that's actually a really good Which point. Which is how
5: my mum would pronounce yeah. it. Yeah. But we just liked it with the Zs. Mm. We just liked that.
4: But so far, it's only on. It's only on that T-shirt there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because,
5: yeah. because,
4: yeah. because the new there's a new Miss Millie's in town. Yeah. And the inside, they have got this like a massive mural on the wall. Oh right,
5: yeah. On oh, the bread.
4: And then the oh, the br- okay. the brew dog in- and <laughs> yeah they've also got it's it not,
5: it's like a media thing i think i think um yeah it's not what people say i mean most people don't say gut lush but we've just <laughs> people just like it I suppose.
4: so it's not what people say but it's a media thing and people don't say gut lash but do you think people have ever said gut lash
5: i say gut. Yeah, girls,
4: they say, don't they? Or they used to a
5: lot, yeah. When I was a kid, you heard it more, of, especially like people's grannies.
4: Yeah. So where did you grow up? fields. So do you at least kind of feel you're kind of holding holding a torch for...?
5: Celebrating the accent. That. Yeah, celebrating it. And do you feel the responsibility? I, I Responsibility. I don't know. Responsibility kind of is. I normally apply that to things that are a bit of a, a chore. Responsibility. But no, we we just have fun with it. We enjoy it. Um, but I think when I grew up, people were kind of ashamed of their accents. I I, I tried to hide mine. Why? Um, They're sort of ashamed of it. People took the mic or yeah. whatever. So I know you
4: never ask a woman her age, but how old are you, please? Uh,
5: 55.
4: Because cause one of my friend's mums had elocution lessons.
5: Yeah, my mum sent us to elocution, but it didn't do
4: anything. So um, why did why did you think she did that? Why did you think your mum sent just, you... Just,
5: yeah, ashamed of having a accent. I've had people down here looking at teachers. oh, yeah, we say that, don't we? Yeah, oh, gosh, oh, I'm so ashamed, you know, people... So, I think what we were thinking was, let's not be ashamed, let's celebrate it, and, um, yeah, just talk about, you know, the history of where some of this stuff has come from, you know, and how language changes, and, um, like, when we were kids, we would say, Mint innit? Mm. I mean that's from my generation. What we would say is oh it's mint innit? But people don't say that anymore so that was we just did that for people our age that might see it and say oh yeah I remember seeing that
4: Do you think that the public reception of the accent has changed over recent years? We've got Joe Sims now on the Radio Bristol Breakfast Show Mm. kind of giving that some might say over the top Bristolian hmm. accent.
5: Hamming
4: it up a bit. I, wasn't, I wouldn't say yeah. that myself, but some people have perhaps thought that that's what yeah. it does. Okay. I don't think it does. Oh, but, that's right. But, um, but do you think that it's, it's the attitude towards it has softened, yeah. changed in recent years? Yeah. Would you say so?
5: Yeah, I think so. And I, I, think,
4: I think that's a good thing. I mean,
5: that was our main mission with it, was to you know, let's go with it, let's not be ashamed of it, let's celebrate our accent and be proud of it and the fact that it's been passed down from, you know, your granny and generations and although the phrases change over time, you know, it's something with history behind it and
4: And you're proud of the way you, you're proud of the way you talk.
5: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Why not? Just accept it. That's who we are, isn't it? Don't be ashamed. There's nothing to be ashamed of. It's just natural. So, yeah, there's more famous people, people on telly now. Stephen Merchant and you know
4: Adams and yeah. Yeah, lots of people now, so. I was always told that ginger hair was going to die out in a few <laughs> in a few generations' time, and I have heard people say that the the regional accents. Could well be on their Get way out.
5: In yeah. Together.
4: Do you think that would be? Do you think that would be a sad day if the Bristol accent does?
5: I don't Does know, go?
4: I, I, or do you think it's got no chance? We
5: have to kind of. I don't know. I think. I think you have to give it the t- You know how things go, don't you? You can't just hold on to it for the sake of holding on to it. But don't be ashamed. It's, it's, I think it's actually. I mean, I don't mind how things go in the future. But just for now, in the present, don't be ashamed of whatever.
1: You know accent
4: you have or where you come from who you are sort of thing yeah
1: celebrate it thanks lucy thank you lucy and martin for that and if any of you readers at bristol 24 7 have got your own strong opinions please get in contact with us on our socials it's at bristol two four seven.
0: And finally we've got a sneak preview of a magazine feature that I'm in the middle of writing so you're now going to hear from Veronica Simon and she works at Bristol Forest School in Lee Court so I had the joy of visiting her the other day um, in the pouring rain to hear about the growth of popularity of forest schools in Bristol over the years so I started off by asking Veronica about what Forest School actually is.
6: So Forest School is some kind of an outdoor activity that takes place in an outdoor space obviously among trees ideally and it should be regular sessions at least 2 hours long regular sessions and it should be child led that's that's a re- really core point of forest school that you are you do some planning for your sessions so you have ideas but you're still following the children's lead so you're just doing whatever they are interested in and it sometimes means that you have a lovely plan, great props, l- lovely things that you've brought in and then you show your children this is what we're doing today and they go ah uh-uh. ah, we just want to run around like maniacs and you need to just roll with it because that's that's their session and this is what public school is about.
0: Mm-hmm. And I read somewhere that they were kind of inspired by like a like a Scandinavian kind of thing, is that...?
6: So, historically, yes, for a school in the UK was introduced by Bridgewater College, who Andy trained with, so he's one of the original just, um, Bridgewater College trainees, and basically they were early-years educators who went to Denmark to see why the systems there work so well, and what they saw there is that children were given much more outdoor time and given tasks that we deem very risky, like practising fire skills, working with knives or peelers, sharp, sharp tools, or given like hammers and nails to make various things. It's from the age of three, four, and by the time they get to the age of six, they are fully capable of using tools and managing their own risks which also transpires to the classroom because in these Scandinavian countries education is slightly different so kindergarten and nurseries last much longer, children enter mainstream professional education like primary schools later on like when they are six or seven years old which allows them much more time to practice their gross motor fine motor skills and social skills which is very very important. Throughout play, which Forest School really promotes and encourages. So, yeah, that was the origins of Forest School here in the UK. These people going to Denmark, seeing that, whoa, this does wonders, let's bring it home and start it here as well. And yeah, it's, it's been really picking up since I would say the last five years, definitely. I've seen that lots more people are involved in Forest Schools. Mm-hmm.
0: Do you think there's like a kind of an element of like, you said that you teach them how to use like tools safely. Is there an element of like learning about danger that you think is important for children?
6: A lot of forest school is about risk management. And instead of the adults managing the risks, of course, we have a risk assessment. Of course, we think about all of the risks before the session. But when the session starts, you start picking the children's brains and getting their brains going about what's around us that could cause harm and how can we mitigate that harm so you involve them in these risk assessments and get their ideas on board and get them to think about these things so instead of them darting around like maniacs they will end up thinking about oh actually I have a sharp stick on me maybe I should put it down when i'm running Mm -hmm. and you see the development because at the beginning they have absolutely no awareness because i strongly feel that the uk is a risk-averse society with all the insurances and make sure you don't do this you don't do that you're not allowed don't climb don't, don't don't and in forest school you take all these don'ts away by giving the children the tools to manage their own risks as in the thoughts in their head, like, I'm here, this is what I would like to do, what do I need to do to be safe and keep the others safe? You need to go over this several times because it all comes from practice. But it's fascinating when you explain to them about mushrooms and foraging and all of that. and then. Sometimes there's just the one children in your initial group who knows that. Why are we not putting things in our mouth in the woods? But by session three, again, they are like, no, you can't do that. You're not touching the mushrooms because they can be poisonous. We can look at them because that's fine, but don't put them in your mouth. Mm-hmm. So, do you think that the government kind of recognises
0: how great forest schools are for children?
6: I think there's a general understanding even in the government and in the widespread community about how wonderful being outdoors is and how beneficial it is for one's mental health and physical health. But I guess recognising would need to come with a bit of a push and a bit of a here you go, let me help you do more of what you're doing because it's amazing and at the moment schools are funding forest schools from their own budget so basically they are taking money away from other things that
1: could be the money could be spent on to do forest school so and that was Veronica and Betty on forest schools so Betty have you ever been to a forest school
0: no I think I like I think I slightly missed the boat with it because Bristol Forest School was founded in I think 2011 and um, So I don't think when I was growing up they were like such a thing. I might be wrong. um, But now I think it's like, I think lots of schools have adopted them. and, And yeah, when I was wandering around seemed like such a lovely pet place like they had so many like lovely different areas and corners of the forest um, and when Veronica was saying the kind of things they do they kind of like they look at mushrooms and they learn how to use tools and they make dens like it sounds incredible um, but no I didn't go although they did say that they do adult um, forest school So it's not all all for children, which I found interesting.
1: So that's it for episode 92 of Bristol 24-7 Behind the Headlines podcast. See you all soon.